in light of the rich truths we've just sung, how can we do anything but worship and bow down? Jesus and only Jesus is lovely and altogether worthy. Father, the world offers so many substitutes, so many things that say, here, here, we'll fill you up. Here, this will make you full. And they're empty wells. They're buckets that leak. And they leave us emptier and drier each time we sip from them. But only in drinking deeply of Christ, of tasting and seeing that you are good, can we find satisfaction. And so, Father, grant us to see Christ beyond every philosophy, Christ beyond every man-made pull, Christ beyond every political system, Christ above it all. For only He is full and only He can fill us. So, Father, please just rescue our hearts from the subtle, luring temptations of what the world offers, of what sometimes even the church offers when it strays from you. Father, to see you and only you exalted. We pray for that. Pray to rescue us. Start with us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, thinking about the different philosophies and systems that are around us today, I want you to think about some of them and what they offer and how they seek to capture us. And so we've got materialism. Stuff will make you happy is its claim. Stuff will fill you up is the claim. But you have a bigger house now. And you have a newer car now. And you have more things in that house now. And you found it doesn't fill you up. Because stuff can't do it. And so there's the offer of materialism. There is the offer of entitlement. I deserve is its claim. Yes, you do deserve, is what God says. You just don't quite deserve what you think. Right? We deserve horrible death and eternal separation from God in this place called hell. And he lavishes grace. I deserve. The world tells you. You deserve better. The world tells you. Or... I'm going to say this, don't throw anything. Feminism. You should fight the gender that is not your gender. You should war against because you will be empowered and you will be full if you battle over gender. The only thing is, we are not fuller after 50 years of fighting with each other, are we? Our marriages aren't healthier after 50 years of seeing it as a battle instead of a partnership. And so there's the offer of feminism. There's the temptation of secularism. Religion's the problem anyways, is the claim. There's no need for faith. There's no need for God. Let's push him out. In fact, he's harmful. We would get along so much better if there weren't this... God thing in the way. If we didn't have all these different religions fighting, the world would be at peace. 
So go sit down with a man named Adolf Hitler and see how that worked out. Because that's the end of humanistic philosophy. We are going to engineer the world we want. And whether there's a God in it or not, we're going to structure it and make it work for us. And it's going to be about us. And it's going to be centered on us. And the people that look like us, it works for. And the people that don't, we can eliminate. That's how a secular philosophy works itself out in the end. Is it ultimately picks people that conform and fit. And then it eliminates the people that don't. And tolerance, that's another one. We should just tolerance. Meaning you should bow down and accept everything I do is okay and perfectly valid with no questions asked. And they're so tempting. They're so tempting, right? Sexual revolution was some 50-odd years ago. And think about what it purchased for us. You will be full when you can have, outside of marriage, all the intimacy you want with as many people you want, no price, no consequences whatsoever. Just go and have free love. There's no consequences. Are you fuller now? Are you fuller after a string of relationships have broken up, offering to fill you? We're not fuller as a people. We're not fuller as a people. And then beyond the sexual revolution, now it's the homosexual agenda. And you must 100% completely accept who we are, what we do, and what we want, and our marriage, or we will force conformity through the laws, through lawsuits, through court systems. We will force you to conform. And, you'll, and, and we will be fuller when all you people get out of our way. We are filled. We have a culture filled with philosophies. Filled with things that pull us. And we think, they're innocent enough. And they each have a certain temptation to them. Each of them latch to a different part of our hearts. But every single one of them are empty. And they pull us away from following Jesus. And that's the danger. There is no way to leave Jesus and a society flourish. There is no way to leave Jesus and your life flourish. And so whatever the offer is, no matter how powerful the draw is, you will not find flourishing apart from Jesus and his ways. It's impossible. There is no fullness apart from him. So let's look at it. As we turn to Colossians 2, 6 through 10, uh, we've kind of gotten a sense of the false teaching of the book. It doesn't really conform to any religious system we know. It was probably a local tribal religion. It was probably something that had taken a little bit of the Jew Jewish influence of the area and a little bit of the pagan influence of the area and a little bit of the different systems around, and it had just thrown it together and shaken it up and said, here is our religious philosophy. Here is our system. And it had something to do with uh, angelic worship and, and this exaltation of angels and fascination with angels. Not that we would know anything about that, right? Because they don't show up on any of our TV shows with like demonic and spiritual and supernatural and alien and anything else. We wouldn't know anything about that. So it's pulling us. It's this fascination with angels. It's this rigid law-keeping element to it. It's these ascetic, these rigorous self-disciplining processes to have these experience, enlightening experiences. And so they're, they're pulling people with a little bit of Christian talk and a little bit of Jewish talk and a little bit of secular pagan talk and throwing it together and saying, Come, you will experience more. And then against that, Paul writes the great, or includes one of the great hymns of the New Testament era. He is the image of the invisible 
God. He is the firstborn over creation. All things were made by Him and through Him and for Him. And He is the head of the church. So that in all things He might have the preeminence. And He has reconciled all things by the blood of His cross. Which way are you going to go? This bloody reconciling cross that points to a sovereign Lord over creation and over redemption. Or are you going to go with a philosophy? A man-made philosophy. And so that's the offer of the book. And so last week, Paul begins to transition and start to hammer confrontationally against the false teaching. He says, I don't want you to be deluded. I don't want you to be tricked by logic into any plausible arguments. And everything I just listed for you and then a dozen others we could go find in the church and outside of the church are plausible. Something about your emotions is drawn to those arguments, or some of them. Something about your emotions say, that feels right. Something about your thought process says, that makes sense. It's plausible. If it weren't plausible, nobody would believe it. It's tempting because it's just close enough. It's just just close enough to make sense. And Paul says, don't do it. And so our main point for today before we read, hold fast to Jesus Christ as Lord. Hold fast to Jesus Christ as Lord. Let's look at it. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule, in all authority. Hold fast to Christ as Lord. See, false teachings and empty philosophies and all the things that we've just named, and again, dozens of others that could vie for our attention, they don't come in, well, in our day sometimes they do, but for the most part, they don't come into the church and say, you know, Jesus is great, but we've got something better. Why don't you you just leave Jesus behind and come our way? They're not that obvious. They're subtle. They seek to, tr- to trick us and to take us little by little captive and to pull us away. And so what Paul's answer is, he's gone to great lengths in the book so far. He's like, here's Jesus, and he's glorious, and he's Lord, and he's great, and he's powerful, and he's huge. And so he's given us this big vision of Jesus so that he can show the emptiness of everything else. And so he is offering us Jesus. And if you or I seek to add to Jesus... Or maybe we just take the parts of Jesus we like. Or maybe we just kind of throw away the stuff, kind of trim with a little little razor, and we just kind of trim out the parts we don't like. Or if we try to go on without Jesus, yeah, this Jesus is great, this salvation is great, let me go do it on my own now with my works and my efforts and my labors. All of it's the same thing. It is running away from Jesus. You see, I can't stick to Jesus and then deny parts of him. I can't stick to Jesus and then follow after some other system. It is impossible to reconcile the two, and that's what Paul's telling us. You hold fast to Jesus, and anything else whatsoever that pulls you away is to lead away from Jesus. It's running away from Jesus. It's not staying 
with Jesus. And so here's a formula. It's not original to me. It's not mine. Uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing else, not baptism, not church membership, not uh, good works, not anything. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And then the other side of the equation, Jesus plus anything. Anything you seek to add, Jesus is good plus. Jesus is good and leaves you with nothing at all. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. So let's look at it. Let's drive into the first point. Live in a way that displays active faith in the lordship of Christ. Live in a way that displays active lordship, uh, uh, faith, active faith in the lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, there's so many ways we can get the Christian life wrong. And there's only this little bitty narrow road Jesus talks about that works out right. And so think about some of the ways we get following Jesus wrong. We decide to go all in on this man, uh, man-centered. You know, God's all about me, and when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I passed that this morning on the way to church, and there's part of that that's true, but man, there's just a focus of it that's not. But everything revolves around me. Everything's about me and us and how much God loves us and how good I am or how bad I am or how good I did my quiet time or how not good I did my quiet time, and everything revolves around me. And everything revolves around us as people. And God's all about us as people. And we're what matters. That's just the wrong way to do the Christian life. Because it's about Him. It's about Him. Or maybe we go all in on rule following. And that's the wrong way to do the Christian life. And so we do, we, we're accepted by God because we do fill in the blank. We go to church. And you should. We're accepted by God because we give. And, and you should. But... You're not accepted by God because of that. Or we're accepted by God because we go to Sunday school. Or we're accepted by God because our name's on some ministry list in a church that says we do something. Or we do a lot of somethings. None of that makes you any more acceptable to God. It's 100% on Jesus. And so we get the Christian life wrong when we try to start doing it on our own based on keeping the rules. And maybe it makes me feel better than others because I do more. Or maybe I feel so guilty over my past life and my past shame that I am going to earn back a little of this grace thing that he's given me. And so I'm going to work so hard out of guilt or out of shame. Or maybe it's I just, you know, I'm a duty person. And, man, I'll salute and do whatever somebody tells me. And, you know, God's great, so I'm going to, I'm going to go. But what it does is it leaves us more and more and more hollow until we've emptied ourselves out spiritually and we burn out. And then we move on and try to find some other revived experience, some other church, some other preacher. That's going to that's gonna work because I'm worn out with this one. Or maybe we go all in on freedom. That's probably a more prevalent one today. Man, I am free. I don't need you old traditionalists telling me what to do. I'm free. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. And I get to do whatever I want. And I get to do whatever I want, and I don't care how it affects you. I don't care how it affects you either. I'm free. Don't you know I'm free? And so I can sit there, and I can be cool in my little microbrewery, drinking and talking theology and smoking and running around with my girlfriend. I'm not under law. If you guys were cool enough to understand that, then we could get along better. But since you're not, I'm going to just go off on my own. And we disconnect from other people. And we are loveless towards others, regardless of how it impacts anybody else. I'm going to do what I want. 
And that's not the Christian life. It's just not the Christian life to live a life unconcerned about the believers God's placed around me. Or to dismiss people that are different than me who follow Jesus. It is not the Christian life. But here's a better way. There is a way that is by grace. Lavish, wonderful, 100% amazing grace. There's a way that goes that way. And it is a through faith way, meaning I have nothing that I've earned and nothing that I merited and nothing I can ever do to earn it. But I have believed in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. It is by grace through faith and it's lavish and it's amazing. It's a way that saves me. It's a way that cleanses me. It's a way that sanctifies me. It's a way where God works within me by the Holy Spirit to obey out of love and not out of law anymore. It's a way that changes my appetites and my desires and now I joyfully obey Christ. And so there's so many ways for us to get it wrong. And this text drives us back to Jesus and our salvation as the way in which we live and the way we walk and the way we carry out our walk with Christ. And so look at the text here. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord in that exact same way, no difference whatsoever, so walk in Him. So let's break that down. Therefore... Now, you've probably heard this a million times. Whenever you see therefore, you ask what it is there for. And so it's pointing you back to the argument that's just been made or back to the point that's just been made. And so, therefore, based on Jesus Christ being found in the treasures of all wisdom and knowledge, based on Jesus, the one that is the fullness of life and wisdom and everything, based on knowing him means everything. And so don't be deceived, don't be deluded, don't be tricked by plausible arguments. Based on that statement of the riches of Christ and the emptiness of all these plausible arguments, he says what he's about to say. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord. The word for received is used pretty frequently in the New Testament, but it's almost always used in reference to some form of knowledge or instruction. This is one of the only times in all the New Testament where it's used of a person. And so generally you would run into this word and you'd say, as you received instruction, as you received the teaching, as you received the doctrine, as you received some content of information. But almost only here, and I think only here, does it say, as you have received from an authority, as you have received the person of Christ Jesus the Lord. And so it makes sense, right? It makes sense that it's a little different because Jesus is both a concept and a truth and a human per- and a person to receive. And so when he's challenging him, you receive Jesus. That means you receive the gospel, you receive the truth, you receive the content, you receive the doctrine of Jesus, his person, who he is, his work, what he did. You receive that, but that's not all you received when you entered into salvation. You received a living, active person that enters into your life in personal ways. You received Jesus, the the person, into your life. And so the same way you received Jesus, his truth, and the same way you received Jesus, his person, into your life, that's what I want you to walk into. And so I want you to know, or I just want you to be reminded by this text, that you did not enter into salvation Believing in some dry truth, man, yeah, I I believe in those four spiritual laws you're talking about. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great group of facts. You did not enter salvation through a concept. 
You entered salvation by meeting the person of Jesus who entered your life and radically changed your life and radically changed your affection and radically changed everything about you. That's who and how you received him. As you received the person, Jesus Christ, the Lord, and that's, there's some debate on how this, this, this uh, fleshes out. Christ Jesus Lord. So there's, is that three different titles? Christ the Messiah, Jesus the Savior, Lord, you know, sovereign God. Is that a name, Christ Jesus, and then a description, Lord? And so there's, they, they parse this a lot of ways. Here's what I think is the best way to understand it in light of the context, in light of what he's saying. And so we've got Christ Jesus, whether you look at that as title and name or what, you, the, the, the Messiah, Jesus. You received him, but let me tell you who he is, the Lord. And so there's this huge problem in the Colossian false teaching that is drawing you away to another authority. And so what he's saying is the, the Christ Jesus I've been describing for two chapters now, the Christ Jesus I'm talking about, he is the Lord. He is the sovereign God who created everything. He is the sovereign God that all things were made through him. He is the sovereign God that all things were made for him. From Colossians 1, 15 and following. He is the one that is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's the one I'm talking about. I want to make sure you get it right. I don't want you to think I'm talking about some little person Jesus that's not that important. I am talking about the Lord. I'm talking about the one who is sovereign over creation because it was made by him and it was made for him. I'm talking about the one that is sovereign over the church because it was him that is the firstborn from the dead. And it was him that is the head of the body. And it's all about him. And so for a chapter and a half now, Paul has been saying, this is Jesus. He is Lord. The word Lord is translated in the Greek Old Testament is the translation of Yahweh, of, of God. And so when he says Christ Jesus is Lord, he's talking about, yes, the position of creator and head of the church. But he's talking about more than that. He is God himself. And he says as much in verse 9. So you receive Jesus as Lord. You receive Jesus as the all-sufficient Lord. You receive Jesus as the sovereign Lord. You receive Jesus as God himself. And that's important. Because other systems are offering you something else. And if you believe them, then you have to pull Jesus down. And that's what Paul's trying to set up, is there's a great contrast between the glorious, beautiful, majestic Jesus in this system that's trying to draw you away. So just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, look at it, so walk in Him. The exact same way you received Him is the exact same way you should live in Him. And so when we run into the word walk in the Bible, it talks about a pattern of life. And so your conduct, your attitudes, your thought life, this, this person of who you are, how you live, what makes you up, the pattern of your life, and so the way you receive Jesus, by grace, through faith, lavish, wonderful, amazing grace, believed freely, no goodness in you, but totally believing in freedom, uh, uh, totally believing in Him for your salvation, by grace, through faith, as Lord and Savior, as the sovereign Lord who has reconciled us to God. And so the way you received Him is the way you're supposed to live the Christian life. And so the challenge is that the way you received and who you received should look like the way you live. There shouldn't be a disconnect in what you say you believe and how you live your life. There shouldn't be a disconnect in the one you say is your Lord and God and who you functionally live under and how you functionally live. There shouldn't be a separation in those two things. 
The same one you received as Lord and the same way you received him as Lord is the way you should live your life. Under the Lordship of Christ. By his grace we live. We live by faith and not by sight. And so the Christian life is not meant to be a set of rules that we follow. And it's not to be a set of freedom where it doesn't matter how we live. It is living under the lordship of a Jesus who has captured my heart with his grace. And because I love him, I keep his commandments. And it is meant to be this resting in the finished work of Christ versus earning it through my works. That's how we live. And so it makes no sense to run after Jesus for salvation and then live like it all depends on you after that. And it makes no sense to run after Jesus in salvation and then live like it doesn't matter what he says after that. Both of those are wrong. The way you received him, by grace, through faith, as Lord and Savior, is the way you live, rooted in his grace. And then he gives you some descriptions of this, three words he gives you after that. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. I'll tell you something cool about this. And you're going to think it's really cool when I say it. Get ready. You ready? Edge of your seats. This is in the passive voice. You aren't that great and excited, are you? You know what that means? It's all the work of God. It is not my action to root. It is not my action to be built up. It is not my action to be established. It's God's action inside of me. I'm passive in the process to a degree. And so God comes in and he roots me into the soil of Christ, this rich, lush, saving, securing soil, and he roots me down in there like a plant that is going to be healthy and established because its root system is healthy and established. And then God, on an ongoing basis, takes the foundation of Jesus and he builds me up in him. He frames out the walls. He drywalls the walls. He paints the walls. He puts the roof on the house and he builds me out. He does that. He's given me the foundation of Christ. He's rooted me in the soil of Christ. And then he is at work building my life to look like Christ. Which leads me to be established. He establishes me. He confirms me. He, he roots me firmly where I'm not shifted and moved and tornadoes can come and whatever can come across my life and it can't take me off because he has rooted me into him. He's put his foundation under me and he's established me in the faith. And so the first two kind of lead to the second. Being rooted and being built up by God leads my life to be established. And that matters because the next verse, they're going to try to take me off of established. They're going to try to uproot me from Christ and plant me in their own soil. They're going to try to uproot me from all the teachings of his grace and his salvation and root me into their law. And so it matters that God planted me and it matters that God's at work building me into the person that looks like Christ. And it matters that I'm established because they want to take me away from him. And they want to do it by trickery. They want to deceive me into just uprooting myself and going after them. But God has secured me and they can't succeed. And because God has given me this Jesus that is this amazing, they can't succeed at it. But that's their goal. And then he closes out with just kind of a summary of all that he's just said. Just as you were taught. Live the way you were taught. Live rooted in the soil of lavish grace of Christ. Live being built up into him. That's what you were taught. You were taught all about this grace. 
Paul taught Epaphras. Epaphras taught the church all of this given by God to them, the gospel. And they didn't get it, a concept. They didn't get it in the classroom. They got Jesus, the person of Jesus. And so, last phrase, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Paul uses thanksgiving as one of the key marks of genuine, converted, saved people. Are you grateful? Because how do you enter into a grace that says you are a sinner separated from a holy God, walking to an eternity that will ever, forever, forever be apart from Him, and you deserve it. You earned every bit of it. But He comes and plucks you out of the kingdom of darkness, barreling towards hell as fast as you can, and He throws you into the kingdom of the Son of His love in which there is light and grace. And He does that. How can, how can gratitude not burst out of our hearts, right? Abounding, overflowing with gratitude. And that's Paul's like, test marker of the, of the conversion of people is are you thankful? And then it's also the mark he uses when it's absent to describe those who have rejected God. In Romans one twenty one, they did not honor Him as God, nor were they thankful ungrateful blankety blanks don't you know there's a god you ungrateful things don't you know he sent his son to the cross to purchase redemption you ungrateful people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness and so walk the way you were saved the way you received him by grace through faith, the one you received, Lord of all, live like it's true. And as a church, we're trying to equip you and help you to root down into Christ. And so the four applications we talked about earlier, we're trying to root you into Christ as a church. We're trying to equip you to walk into the word where you will find him and ask the kind of questions that will show you what he's like. And then do it together as a community so that we can talk to each other about it. And so we can encourage each other in it. And we can share the different sides of what we see in it. That's, that's our goal to equip you and to progress you into the Word. And this semester we're going to focus on, or this quarter we're going to focus you on prayer. And we're going to give you some basic models to equip you to have a fleshed out full prayer life. Not my prayer life. Like you don't need to look at me and say, look how he prays. I want to do that. It's irrelevant. That's me. God has a communion and a communication with you that is totally yours. And we're going to just give you a model to help flesh that out. And we're going to help you progress, and we're going to help you find some ways to apply that into your home life and into your community. And then we're going to talk about going deeper with other people, building community with another human being that helps you with accountability and prayer and being in the Word together and and drive you into relationships, one-on-one or one-on-two or one-on-three relationships. And we're going to push you out of your comfort zone and me out of my comfort zone to go serve and share with lost people around us so that we view all of our life through the lens of a missionary. God planted me in my workplace and called me to be a missionary there. God planted me in my neighborhood. God planted me onto the ball teams my kids play on. He planted me into the school I go to. He planted me into the specific classes I am attending right now and not the other classes that I could have, but this one is the one he planted me in to be a missionary there. And we want to equip you and we want to challenge us to do that. But here's the thing. We can equip and we can challenge. But you and I individually and as a group have to apply. Doesn't do us any good to teach it for a year and not apply it. And so that will be the challenge. We want to help you and walk you to it. 
and then call you to do it and encourage you to do it. And so first, active faith in the Lordship of Christ. That's what this text calls us to. And then second, don't let anyone cheat you or take you captive by empty man-made ideas. Don't let anyone take you captive by empty man-made ideas. Last week we talked about some plausible arguments. We started out the sermon with some of the philosophies that are running around and some of the ideas that run around and say, come follow me, come believe me. But I was reading an article this week. It's just been on my radar. Uh, Bigotry in the Bible. That basically Christianity is the last holdout to full embracing of the homosexual agenda was their point. And then they did everything they could to convince me of why I am wrong because I believe an old, outdated book. And it hasn't kept up with the scientific advances of the last 2,000 years. And it doesn't realize what we learned over the last 50 years about the sexual identity of people, that people are defined by their sexuality. They're not just, it's not just part of what they do. And, and then, by the way, don't you know you're misinterpreting it? And then on top of that, they, you know, if you're a conservative, you, you don't have any brains whatsoever. But guess what? I've got a liberal friend that completely agrees with me. And there's this whole group of churches that have seen the light. Thus, I have an argument for why anybody being a holdout on this subject is completely wrong. Do you see what they did? It's all plausible, right? The book is outdated, and you don't understand it anyways. Look at all these people over here who are Christians. They're Christians too, right? They believe. They've seen the light, and you haven't. By the way, you're all bigoted anyways. Great argumentation. Great reason why I'm wrong. Sure to appreciate it, but it's plausible. It's plausible. And its goal is to pull me into their system and to pull me into their beliefs. And if you read the article, you might actually like, wow, have I been misreading it all this time? It's only a few scattered verses through this Bible anyways. It's not even that big a deal. Man, did I miss it? Or then you walk into the church world and you think, what are they going to tell me? Plausible arguments. Don't you know that if we can be cool enough and people come, that's what it's all about. Don't you know if we can just be relevant and stay away from too much of that hard stuff and say only the good stuff that scratches our needs and our itches? Man, people will come. It's about people. It's all people. It's man-made. Come. Sounds pretty plausible, right? I want people to be saved, don't you? Why don't you want anybody to be saved? Well, maybe it's just because I'm not cool enough. I don't know. I do want people to be saved. I just believe the gospel is what saves them and not being cool enough as a church. Or, don't you know, if you come to Jesus and say the right words, you'll get healed? Don't you know, if you come to Jesus and say the right words, you'll be rich or at least have plenty of money? Yeah, go tell that to the believers in Africa who walk a day to sit under an oak tree to hear a gospel. Where's their riches? Where is their generational possibility that riches will ever show up? If that's the offer. You see, it can only be true Christian-wise if it's true everywhere. And if it can't be true, if it cannot be preached everywhere as truth, it's not true. And it's awful hard to sit in a dustbin of a country and say, Jesus wants to make you rich and healthy while they're dying rampantly, generationally of AIDS crisis and say, Jesus just wants you to be healthy. But if you want to say there is a Jesus who conquered your sin and secured your eternity and will radically change your life, whether you're poor or rich, and radically change your life, whether you're healthy or sick, we have a message. 
We have a message. Taking you captive. Pulling you away to their ideas. That's the goal. And look at the text. See to it. This is the second command of the text. Walk in him is command one. See to it that no one takes you captive. Command two. The word for cap- to take you captive is, is the idea of walking into a camp, conquering it, and taking away plunder. And so it would be used of like taking away the goods and, and all the, the materials of somebody that you've just defeated. That would be one word. But when it comes to people, it's the idea of kidnapping. It's the idea of coming in and taking by force somebody and pulling them in direction. So see to it that nobody comes into your camp and takes you captive. How are they going to take you captive, the text answers. Through philosophy and empty deceit. Those two words are connected. So it's empty, deceptive philosophy. That's how they're going to get you. By the things I've been talking about all day and by the things that we mentioned last week, that's how they're going to get you, is they're going to make it feel right. They're going to make it sound plausible. They're going to give all this evidence as why they're right. And they're going to throw a little bit of science on top of it too. I forgot that part. And then all of a sudden, you're all by yourself believing that antiquated stuff. And look at all of us smart people. We don't. And they're going to take you captive. But here's the thing. It's empty. And it's deceptive. And it doesn't matter how many people believe it. It's still empty. It's still deceptive. It will still ruin the flourishing of your life and the flourishing of a society. And it will destroy your life and it will destroy societies. And it doesn't matter how many people go that direction. It will still destroy. Because you don't walk away from Christ and flourish because of it. True flourishing can't happen that way. Here's the example I thought of. There's a certain friend that has joined the church lately that sells Milano cookies. And from a childhood, my grandmother always stocked Milano cookies in her her house. And I loved them. And I'd forgotten about them for a long time, and then they come and they got offered to me for free. Just sitting on my desk one day when I show up. And I had the bad judgment of bringing them home. Sitting them in the cabinet where certain little hands can reach them. And here's the thing about the the packaging of a Milano cookie. If you don't know, it's in a little square package that rolls up at the top. And it keeps its shape whether they're shut in it or not. And then kids, when they take the last cookie, guess what they do? Leave it back in the cabinet. So here I come, man, cookies. Cookie time. Empty. Empty. Empty and deceptive. And this is exactly what the world is offering you. Come look at the packaging. Look how it holds up. Look, there's goodies inside. Only to open it up with the... With your life, opening it up. With your experience, opening it up. With your experience, looking into it and being devastated because it was totally bankrupt when the time came. It was empty. And it was deceptive. And that's what's offered. And then they describe this. It is according to human tradition. So you received from God, through Paul, through Epaphras, you received from God Jesus Christ the Lord versus a man-made Man originated system. 
It accords with man. It, it originates in man, whether it's man's science or man's religious ideas or man's thoughts or man's feelings. It all comes and is sourced in man. And I've led a lot of people. And I don't want to follow any of their systems. I've seen them. I've seen how big of a mess they are. And they're going to teach me something? I've seen how big a mess I am. You don't want me to teach you anything. If it originates in mankind, through his experiments, through his logic, through his feelings, through his reason, it accords with man-made. It's man-originated. You can have truth from God, or you can have the ideas of man. And so don't be tricked by their philosophy, no matter how really good it sounds and how right it sounds and how much evidence they have. Don't be tricked. And it accords with the elemental spirits of the world. And we don't have a lot of time to go into it. Very debated word. We'll get to come, I think we get to go into it again um, somewhere in, the, in, in Colossians. Three ways it can be viewed. It's, it deals with the most basic element of something. Earth, air, fire, and water, basic elements in ancient culture. Or alphabet, like the basic, le- the, the basic building blocks of a word. Or notes on a scale, what it takes to, to build out a, uh, whatever you do music-wise. You know, when you put those notes together and it sounds like something. Basic notes. And so it can have the idea of the basic parts of something. It can also have the idea of the basic tenets of a fundamental religion. So law. Like the law would be an elemental spirit. But what makes it kind of so debated is it can also be talking about supernatural beings who, are, who were viewed in authority over the creation. And so it's come to mean demonic or angelic or supernatural beings. And so... Which one is in the text? We, we don't know exactly because in the very next verse, he's the Lord of all rule and authority, right? And so angelic fascination is part of their false teaching. Could very well be it. Or there's this call back to the law or elements of the law, and that could be it. But I would say there's a slight evidence to say what they say, elemental spirits. Don't be captured by a man-made philosophy that also lines up with these angelic beings, which in this case would be demonic beings, who also want to cooperate with these ideas to pull you away captive. And here's the last one. Not according to Christ. It is incompatible with following Jesus. And that's the problem. Human in origin, all the philosophies we've mentioned, if they're not compatible with following Christ... They are empty. They are deceptive. And their whole goal in existence is to capture you and own you. To pull you off of your established belief in Christ, rooted belief in Christ, to follow them. To be owned by them. To capture your heart with their system. And that's the entire goal. And so here's your choice. In him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you are filled in him. Jesus, sovereign Lord of creation and the church, or empty philosophies. The one who is the fullness of God who will fill you with himself or empty philosophies. And that's your great choice. But make no mistake, that's the choice you are making when you encounter them. Two sides. No way to make them agree with each other. There is Christ, the fullness of God who will fill you, And there's everything else. And Paul wants to make Christ so appealing and so glorious that you would realize it's nothing but bankruptcy. It's nothing but empty Milano cookie boxes, bags, 
to go away from Christ because there's no fullness there. There's no flourishing there. There's no satisfaction there. I know it offers it. It's just a night, and it'll be so pleasurable. It offers it. You'll fit in better. I know it's a great offer, but it'll never fill you up. It will never fill you up. And you can have a hundred such nights and a hundred such fitting in, and it will never, ever satisfy you. Because only Christ, who is the fullness of God, can fill us up. There's some practical applications that you can read on your own, and I would challenge you to. But let's pray. Father, help us to see the fullness of knowing Christ. Help us to see that He is what matters. He is life and life abundant. He is the one who has conquered us and transferred us and saved us. Everything else is false. Everything else is worthless compared to the treasure, all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge in Him. Everything else is worthless compared to the riches of the mystery of knowing Him. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are struggling with some of these truths or tempted by the environments they're a part of or tempted by the people they're around or tempted by how wonderful and academic these other ideas sound. God, I just pray by the witness of your Spirit, do not let them be taken captive. I pray for us as a people to walk the way we've been saved to live in faith, to live out of the soil of extravagant grace, to live madly in love with this Jesus that has saved us, and to live like that's true. I pray for it in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.